Our scripture reading this morning is Exodus 25, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet, yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So last Monday, I was summoned to jury duty in Lisbon, and I thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell the judge I have a funeral on Saturday, and I'll just get sent home. I'm a pastor. Before I knew it, I was serving on a jury from Monday through Thursday, and I was in a very tough situation. I reached out to Dan, and I was like, hey, would there be any way last minute you could come and preach here? And he has graciously said yes on this short notice. Uh, So thank you, Dan. I just want to tell you a little bit about Dan. Dan was born and raised on a farm in western Stark County. He attended Mennonite School, Central Christian High School, Eastern Mennonite College, and Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary. It was at Eastern Mennonite he met his wonderful, a wonderful young woman who finally consented to take on the memorable name Julie Hooley. I, <laughs> upon finishing at AMBS, Dan was called to pastor a small urban congregation in Canton, First Mennonite Church. It's been a number of years, but Sean Swanson preached here, and that it would be where Sean is pastor right now. Dan was there for 29 years, and uh, since then he's completed two interim pastor assignments, most recently at LifeBridge Community Church of Dover. Julie and Dan live one street over from First Mennonite in Canton, and they have three adult daughters, three sons-in-law, and one delightful grandson. Currently, he is the part-time bookkeeper for the Youth Outreach Lighthouse Ministries of Canton, and he serves on the ministry development team of Ohio Mennonite Conference. Dan also enjoys maintaining their two rental properties and pretending he is a farmer in their big vegetable garden. Dan, thanks so much for being here uh, and welcome. And thank you so much. Uh, Pastor Matthew, I appreciate this opportunity to share with you. Let's see how this works here. Doesn't bother bother me if it doesn't bother you. Um, I understand that the Midway Mennonite congregation is made up of human beings, and that human beings um, 
have to go through a lot. There's good times and there's not so good times. And I understand that you had a chance yesterday to experience humanity in its final stages. Uh, and I trust that you were able to say goodbye in a good way, both as family members and the congregation. I bring you greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it's an honor to have this opportunity to share with you. Some time ago, I heard about a pastor who was humbly describing what it is like to be a substitute preacher. Now, this pastor asked the congregation to picture in their minds a window with multiple panes of glass. One of the panes in that window was broken, and a temporary fix was made by putting in a piece of cardboard. The pastor said, as a substitute for your pastor this morning, I'm like that piece of cardboard. Well, the pastor went on to preach his sermon, and then after the service, was greet, he was greeting people at the door, and a spry elderly woman took the pastor's hand and said, Pastor, thank you so much for your sermon, and I want you to know you were no substitute. You were a real pain. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that I realized that I was neglecting the Old Testament in my Bible reading and study. There were at least a couple reasons for that. For one, I find the violence in some of the Old Testament stories to be contrary to the witness of Jesus, our Messiah. And for another, I might have fallen into an oversimplified understanding of the Apostle Paul's contrast between the law and the gospel. So, Part of my hope for this morning is to encourage us all to give some extra attention to the scriptures that Jesus studied. And the drama in the book of Exodus makes for exciting reading and listening. God's deliverance of a whole nation of slaves is amazing. And then there's the time in the wilderness, a time that God was using to build the faith of these people whom God had chosen to bless the world. Part of that faith-building work was the gift of the law. Exodus chapter 24, verse 18 tells us that when Moses was up on the mountain getting the law from God, he stayed 40 days and 40 nights. Seems to me that that would be plenty of time for Ten Commandments and even the extras that God sent along. But as we read further in Exodus, we discover that God had something else to give to Moses, a set of detailed building plans for a tabernacle, a place for God to live among the people. Granted, a list of laws and a set of building plans might not be quite as exciting as crossing a sea while fleeing an army in hot pursuit but we'd be missing a great deal if we just skipped the boring parts. And so 
I've chosen to focus on the tabernacle building plans this morning. But before we focus on some of the lessons God has for us in the tabernacle, I feel a need to get something out of the way. In the offering wish list are luxurious and familiar to us things like gold and silver, fine linen cloth, and precious stones. But I'm a little bit distracted by the ram skins dyed red and something the New International Version calls another type of durable leather. We have that slide from uh, chapter 25, verses 3 through 7. Another type of durable leather in verse 5. If we are listening carefully, this should catch our attention for a couple of reasons. One, the book of Exodus devotes about 13 chapters to the tabernacle blueprints. The instructions God gave Moses were quite detailed and specific. So in the midst of the list of specific things that God wanted the people to contribute for the tabernacle project, why would one of the items be described only vaguely as another type of durable leather? Which leads to the second reason that this phrase should catch our attention. Most of our modern English translations have a footnote here. Through the years, translators have tried to get specific about this other kind of leather. The context would seem to call for a more specific word. But the original Hebrew word is obscure, and it's so very difficult to find the right translation. For example, I have an older edition of the New International Version that includes a footnote at verse 5. And the footnote suggests that the Hebrew could also be translated as the skin of the dugong. Dugong? Who here knows what a dugong is? It's a kind of animal. I bet there's somebody that probably knows. Well, I sure didn't. I had to look it up. A dugong is a large sea mammal also called a sea cow because it grazes on sea grasses. And it does inhabit the South Pacific and the Persian Gulf. In the 18th century, English-speaking explorers discovered Bedouin tribes who used dugong skins for tent curtains and for shoes. And their name for the dugong sounded like the Hebrew word in chapter 25, verse 5. Thus, the large sea animal translation became popular after the, uh, that discovery in the 18th century. Of further interest is the fact that sea mammals are on the Hebrew unclean list. That's the list of things that the children of Israel were to avoid touching, like pigs or vultures or geckos. And it's hard to imagine that God would command people to regard Sea, animal, sea mammals as detestable, and then command them to use the hides of these detestable dugongs to cover the tabernacle. Well, in the early 17th century, the translators of the King James Version landed on the skin of the badger for the translation of this part of the tabernacle. 
And possibly they were working from a Latin translation and thought that badger at least sounded like the word. Again, they chose a more specific term, but they also ignored the problem caused by the unclean and detestable badger. Well, I see that, that most of you are still politely awake after this translation lesson. No extra charge for it. And just maybe I will have encouraged someone here to dig into the Bible a little deeper and not skip over the parts that seem to be boring, like instructions for building a tabernacle. Let's go ahead and put the blank slide up there now. Thanks. Exodus 25 and the first nine verses introduce those 13 chapters that give the tabernacle building plans. And they make up most of the rest of the book of Exodus. We can't cover them all this morning, but the tabernacle, um, sometimes also called the tent of meeting, can teach us several very important things about the way God desires to be with us. And the slide, verses 1 and 2, thank you. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. First, notice that God calls for an offering, but it's voluntary. The gift has to be from the heart. Not long before, the children of Israel had been forced to build for the Pharaoh of Egypt. And now they were called to another building project. But this time, it was their free choice. And we're not surprised to find that they responded beautifully. Exodus chapter 36, there's a slide for that. Then Moses summoned Bazalel and Oaliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary, and the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. And then Moses gave an order and said, and they sent this word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Can you imagine? And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they, had already, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. I believe the generosity of the Israelites was a direct result of their gratitude for God's deliverance. Let us never forget how God offers us deliverance from the bondage of our sin and its consequences in our lives. And then we won't need to resort to manipulation to collect offerings for God's work. And uh, put a blank slide up there then. Maybe a little illustration of this uh, manipulation that sometimes go on. You, you know what I'm talking about, but there was a, an IRS agent talking to a pastor. And he said, the IRS agent said to the pastor, 
did Mr. Yoder really contribute $5,145.92 to the church so far this year? And the pastor said to the IRS agent, I can assure you that if he hasn't yet, he will be soon. Now, later, when King Solomon was building what he conceived as a real temple for God, not just a portable tent tabernacle, there is a sad commentary on the sinful part of our human nature. The voluntary, joyful giving of the people actually reverted back to slavery. The Bible tells us that Solomon used slave labor to build the temple, and not only foreigners, but his own people were forced to work. It might be fruitful for us to think more about the differences between the wilderness tabernacle and the Jerusalem temple. But I'll have to ask you to, to study up on that yourselves. We don't have time this morning. Let's move on to the second lesson about how God wants us, wants to be with us. When you hear the description of the building materials, do you feel something? We have a slide on verses three through seven. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Or how about this further description of something like a vest that the priest was to wear? That was, that's called an ephod. This is chapter 39, verses 2 through 7. They made the ephod of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. They hammered out thin sheets of gold and cut strands to be worked into the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, the work of skilled hands. They made shoulder pieces for the ephod, which were attached to two of its corners so that it could be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband was like it, of one piece with the ephod and made with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen as the Lord commanded Moses. They mounted the onyx stones in gold filigree settings and engraved them like a seal with the names of the sons of Israel. And then they fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. God may have outlawed carved or sculptured idols, but that did not mean that beautiful things could not be enjoyed. A curtain separating the holy room from the most holy room was to be made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by skillful craftsmen. And it was to be hung with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. This beauty in the hot, dusty desert was meant to lead people to feel God's presence. The law spoke to their mind. 
But the beauty of the tabernacle spoke to their hearts and spirits. Coming from frugal and practical ancestry and being raised by parents who were children among the Great Depression, my experience of beauty is much more related to things in nature than things created by artists and designers of our culture. But maybe this lesson from the Desert Tabernacle is meant to stretch me a little. When the beautiful draws us to worship God, it is a good thing. It is sad that our culture has tended to turn beauty into an idol. We are tempted to worship the creation instead of the one who is the creator. But when God comes to dwell among us, it is a beautiful thing. It reminds me of how the gospel writer John described Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. In John 1, verse 14, he wrote this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or we could say, The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. One of the beautiful images of Jesus that comes to my mind is Jesus sitting in a town square surrounded by little children and their parents and he's taking each child by turn into his arms and blessing them and the scene is even more beautiful because of the contrast with the impatient disciples who want to shoo those children away so that's the second lesson for this morning let's allow the beauty around us to guide our attention toward God. And we have a slide for verses 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Here we have the word, <coughs> excuse me, we have the word sanctuary as another way to describe the tabernacle that God wants the people to build. The word sanctuary is derived from the Hebrew word for holy. And so sanctuary signifies a place set apart and holy for God. God wanted the people to designate a special place for meeting. It would be a very visual and material reminder of God's presence. In a way, things are more complicated for us. Since Jesus offered us a new relationship with God's Holy Spirit, we can have God in our hearts. We don't need a designated holy place to meet God. God is with us all the time. We live in the time the prophet Jeremiah announced, the Lord declares, the time is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. But I wonder if sometimes we emphasize this blessing of God within our hearts so much that we forget that God is outside of us as well. We probably need to, we probably need a place to go meet God so we don't get the idea that we have no need for God. A little over a year ago, the pandemic forced us to change our worship habits. I have to say, 
this morning for the first time, excuse me, was the first time I got to sing together with a group of people for, a, for over a year. It was, it was powerful. Thank you. So anyway, we changed our worship habits. Instead of getting ready and traveling to a gathering place for worship, we made ourselves comfortable on the couch in front of our screens. Now I'll be the first to admit that there are some real advantages to digital worship. And at the same time, it's a great temptation to ask God to fit into our schedules rather than submit ourselves to God's schedule. Worship on our screens might be a lot easier than getting ourselves to a worship gathering. It might grant us extra time in the day. Might we be yielding, however, to the temptation to consider that extra time in our... That, to consider that extra time to be ours, to do with what we want, rather than God's time to do with what God wants. The tabernacle was an important, set-apart place for building faith. God knows that we need such places. In verse 9 is a fourth lesson about the way God desires to be with us. God is the architect. God draws the plans. Moses and the people are to carry them out. We are to use God's plans to build our faith, not our own. And isn't it interesting that God's plans did not include any images of God to use for worship aids. This was one of the many telling contrasts between ancient Near Eastern religions and the worship that God desires. God cannot and shall not be limited by what we humans can imagine, by the idols we construct. But at the same time, God gives us the blueprint to use in order to be blessed by God's presence. And you can put up the blank slide, thank you. The wilderness Tabernacle shows ways God desires to be with us. First, freely invited, not forced. And secondly, comprehended in our hearts as beauty, as well as in our minds as laws and guidelines. Third, with a special dwelling place. And fourth, following God's blueprint, not our own. Through the Messiah Jesus, we have a new covenant with God. He followed the blueprints perfectly and completed the job. Through Jesus, we understand the project God has given us. But that doesn't mean that what God was doing with the old covenants are irrelevant in our lives. And as God was building the faith of the chosen people, their lessons can help us understand God's plan. Now, as a closing prayer, I invite you to listen to a song written by Pepper Choplin, We Are Not Alone. May the presence and grace of God through Jesus Christ be your life this day. Amen. <laughs> 